Hi everyone, I'm Claudia Sarek. And I'm Matt Lynch. And this is So You Want to Run a Restaurant, powered by Back of House, where we let you have a seat at the table, talk about trending topics in the restaurant industry. Well, we have a incredibly special guest on with us today. Like yes. all-star, A+, plus. can't wait to interview this person. So, so usually our... Uh... Lovely host, Zach Mack, is talking in this space. Uh, I'm Matt Lynch. I, normally, I produce this podcast, uh, Behind the Scenes Guy, but I'm stepping behind the mic this for this one because Zach mm-hmm. is actually going to be our guest for this episode. Yeah, in the hot seat. Oh, this is going to be really fun. There's so much that we talk about that doesn't make it to air, folks, that hopefully you get a little taste of how it really is. It's th- Recording this show with Zach is honestly so much fun. And like doing it with Matt, and we really have a really fun time. I genuinely mean that. So I'm super, super excited to interview him. And apart from all the fun, uh, Zach is a, a really thoughtful, smart guy, which comes across, you know, in his hosting, yes. uh, who runs a couple of concepts at NYC. So we are also really excited to, you know, pick his brain a bit about, you know, the what he's learned along the way in yeah. his story. So Yeah, he spent so long in the food service industry doing so many different things. And um, I think that's... I mean, I think that's why also it makes his, his commentary and the questions that he asks to our guests so engaging and so thoughtful, too. So, um, so yeah, here we let's get started. Today's a special episode. We're going to interview my co-host, Zach Mack. He is in the hot seat today. And ooh, do we have some good questions for you. Actually, I'm kidding. This is a show where we haven't prepared anything. So anything goes. <laughs> Maybe you haven't, Claudia, but I, I have a whole list of hard-hitting questions for Zach here. He's, he's been Ooh. hitting my LinkedIn all day, I can tell. You know, yeah. the, the, the fun part about something like this is we know each other well enough, but sometimes it can be harder to interview people you've actually know, you actually know, right? I have a hard time kind of having those conversations. I do. I mean, you can talk to people you know, but it's different when That's you true. actually have to start like asking them questions because you're like, afraid maybe you're exposing like i can't believe i don't know this about you or like that sort of thing not that oh, i'm gonna be offended by okay. anything you ask me but you know that is just Ooh, you know historically that. speaking that's why journalists like to keep that wall up because a lot of the time it's it's easier to ask questions of people when you don't you know you're you're genuinely getting new information so yeah we're, we're luckily, <laughs> zach i guess we, we do tend to start the podcast in roughly the same place with each guest. And I actually am kind of curious in your case, even though I think I know bits and pieces of it, like sort of, I, I feel like I'm always learning new and interesting facts around your background, but I, I'd love to hear the full story of like how you decided to take the plunge into, uh, I guess, the hospitality industry one and uh, actually opening your own place. Um, I feel bad for anyone who listens to this podcast regularly because I've, you know, in dribs and drabs, I've talked about this so many times. Anyone who knows me in real life is going to like click this off because I I won't shut up about it. But it's it's really interesting because I didn't I mean, I think everyone we've had on the show has said this in one one way, shape or form. But like I didn't know I was going to end up in this line of work. I completely fell ass backwards into it because I moved to New York to do writing, work in media. I thought I was going to be here for a few years and I wanted to go work for the Foreign Service become a diplomat and the recession like completely tanked out all my job prospects. So I ended up working in a really, really cool Italian wine bar restaurant that happened to be owned by my roommate at the time, uh, which we lived above um, and in, in the East village in Manhattan. So it was a very exciting time to be 22 and, you know, seeing everyone, everyone was laid off and afraid of where their, their 
money was going to come from. And I had just scored this like oh, yeah. really awesome gig. I was making great money. So I bounced around a bunch of freelance gigs and, you know, I, I was relatively stably employed in this industry. And I started to learn that I like liked it. I had had mm-hmm. kind of menial hospitality jobs in all through high school and middle school and stuff like that. And it was like, it was always just sort of like gas money. Like it wasn't like anything that I was really passionate about. I mean, I definitely had fun with some of them, but like it wasn't something I ever saw myself doing long term. But because of the state of the world back then, I started kind of like broadening my like potential like avenues. I was like, you know, it's not so bad. Wine is fun. Like I could do this, like this industry. I could, I could fall into like restaurant food and stuff like that. And my, my business partner was my age. So, or sorry, my, my roommate at the time who owned the place was my age essentially. So I was like, if he can do it, I could do it. So right. Got into media full time. Didn't love the full time media work world. It was, you know, post 2008 reshuffling. There was just a lot of high stress, overwork, underpay, a lot of which has, you know, remained the status quo, unfortunately, for, for a lot of media jobs. And I uh, I was kind of burning out at 24, 25. And I was like, I can't believe mm-hmm. this is happening already. I was like, I got to I got to make a change. And I got a phone call one day from my now business partner um, who uh, who I'd worked with over at the the wine bar. And he was like, I really want to open up a hybrid beer store bar combo thing. So we jumped into that and I started we started looking at places coming up with business model. And about a year and a half later, we had opened it up. I was only I just turned 27. And I honestly just kind of fell into it, like I said, because if, if you had told me in college that I owned a beer bar, I probably would have been thrilled, but I've been very shocked. I'm very surprised um, because I, I I never saw this for myself. The the down the line stuff, it's, you know, it's afforded me a lot of different, I, I still get to do what I was doing before. Like I still knew my writing. I still get to to freelance and do creative stuff. And I, I, I get to do uh, all kinds of other fun things now too, like, like uh, consulting work and stuff like that on top of the restaurant were, world. I thought you were going to say it was shocking that you did this because you'd never had a drink before in your life or something. I went to college in Montreal. It was very, very, <laughs> not, very much not the case, but it did also, I, I have to say probably a little bit of that Montreal primed me for like a more, I was out, we, we go out to dinner. You would like, I mean, I was a college kid. I wasn't, I wasn't like ordering the, you know, the, yeah, the premier, the Grand Cru Bordeaux or anything like that. But I was like, I could, I could understand why they had a really good beer scene. I was, I, I was able to kind of get a head start on a lot of the stuff in a very approachable way because you go out to dinner, you know, I'm 19 years old and I'm getting the beginnings of my education. Um, not like I have to like go into a, a frat house basement and sip like Natty Light. I was actually going out and going to beer bars and learning things. So yeah. I, I think that had something to do with it too. I, I probably got an earlier start because of that. I feel lucky, not just because Montreal is also an amazing city to like go out, eat, drink, just be in. Yeah. Um, but then taking it to New York, it's like a continuation totally of that vibe. Uh, yeah. Wait, I have a question to go back to in your original, when your original story, you wanted to be a diplomat. And I need to know what, what, what country were you like, I want to be a diplomat for this country in particular? Well, I was not trying to be, this was also a weird time. (laughs) Uh, And international relations is a weird time. I, 9-11 was still very fresh. So like the world was like a very shake, shaken up place. That's Um, true. I wasn't picking any specific place, but I do. I speak French. I took Russian in high school. I speak a little Russian. Um, oh, I didn't yeah. know that about you. I as yeah, so that can you know. So oh, I have oh. I have a little my Spanish <laughs> has gotten better since I've I've since married um I've since married someone who's who's fluently speaks Spanish and I I had some Spanish back then too, but I was kind of keeping my my playing fields open. The thing with foreign service officers and when you go mm-hmm. into this to this job, there's they they say that there's 
at least two hardship posts. And those usually last two years each, uh, at least two years. So it could be a little longer, but they could have sent me anywhere. And, it, and they're mm. like, you could, you're going to spend the rest of your twenties in like a very secluded place. Like it could be, it could be someplace that you have no idea. Like they could send you to, you know, to Kabul or anything like any of these places where they think they need you. And, and yeah. it, it might be tough to like, settle down like meet somebody you know get married if that's like what you're at, at to do but like it's also once you're past that like you are going to be in this track for the rest of your life because it's a great starting salary especially back in 2008 when everyone was like starting oh, salary God, I what? Know. Like, i know that's when i graduated grad school too i remember that yeah or, no wait it's, that's when no wait that's when i started no grad school because you couldn't yeah. get a job and that was yeah that was that was everyone's ploy right i remember yeah. when i graduated i was like all my friends were like oh i guess was, i'm gonna go to law school now instead of right. like two years from now right I was right like, everyone went to law school everyone wants to get their mba yeah and so. funny enough i also did international relations international politics international relations as my I master's I knew degree it. i mean come on i, I, kids, I, I, I dabbled kids in some international politics as a poli sci major as well so we've got oh. like the, <laughs> it's a good thing to study it's <laughs> okay. cool an interesting thing uh, it's, it's great. And I was learning in Canada, too, from like a different perspective. It was actually a lot of fun. Yeah. Zach, I've got a, a follow up question about uh, ABC specifically, which is uh, Alphabet City Beer in the East Village, as Zach mentioned. He's uh, Claudia, a little bit jealous that I've been there before and she hasn't. So. <laughs> I, that is that is true. Sadly, sadly, that is true. But uh, obviously, when you guys when you guys opened up, uh, I, I know this because uh, back then we're writing some beer content for me, but you know, that yeah. the craft scene was in something of like a, a really, really boom state uh, at that point. And you, because you guys have endured for a while, you've seen kind of the industry and that kind of trend quote unquote mature and evolve a bit. And I'm, I'm curious kind of what you've learned along the way, seeing that evolution and kind of, how it's informed your decision making in terms of how you've stayed open all this time and uh, you know continuing to run uh, a successful enterprise. It's funny because I've talked about this with people a lot because they always want to know they're like, how do you stay on top of all the breweries? Like, what's your relationship like with the brewing industry in general? And like, we've always been we're the arbiters of what like what they're pumping out. We can we can choose. I mean, when we first opened up, there was a fraction of the number of breweries, and there was already a lot then too, but it was still a fraction of the number of the breweries we have today. Um, trends and styles of change that have like shifted throughout the industry. And we've had to keep in mind that just because there's a lot of X, Y, Z coming out, doesn't mean that we have to completely reshape our model of like what we're doing. So mm -hmm. just like any restaurant, like you don't want to redo your menu just so you can do like entirely Instagrammable cheese bulb items or like, you know, like you, you got to stick to your guns a, a little bit. And for us, the beer industry hit its peak. I would say like a, a year or two pre COVID and it's been like slowly declining since then. Like the number of breweries is starting to come down. We went from like two when we opened to 2000, when we opened up to like over like close to 9,000 uh, at its peak. And, you know, there's like breweries with different focuses, but there's certainly trends and they're, as you know, microanalyzed to death. And people like think that like everything that comes through is like the next big thing. I remember glitter beer was super hot for a minute. It was, was like I'm, I'm people glad that like, didn't take. I am too. I like that was one of those things where it's like I can glitter take a lot of beer, glitter I beer, did. and it is exactly what it sounds like. I was gonna say I had a glitter latte recently. That was kind of fun, but <laughs> glitter beer, I'm not so sure. A glitter latte does sound like a lot of fun. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Um, but... I. I... <laughs> 
never mind. Never mind. Just keep <laughs> that going. That sounds like a lot of fun. Right? It was fun. Um, yeah. But with glitter beer, it was like people in the industry were sort of like, are you kidding me? I was like, but at the same time, we're not trying to like steal anyone's, like yuck anyone's yum or like steal anyone's fun. Like if that's creative and fun, then go for it. It's really what it comes down to is like people got so stuck in certain styles, right? Like for the longest time, I, I mean, still to this day, IPA drives the craft, the craft sector. And that's um, changed a lot since the days we opened up when those were super, super piney, bitter, uh, resinous, like West Coast style IPAs to the like super juicy, uh, like tropical fruit flavors that you get now that are a little more approachable. But at the same time, there are people who don't want to drink that at, like, at all. So for our purposes, we've always stuck to making sure that just because breweries pump out like 80 to 90 percent IPAs, we could still have like your stouts. You have to have your pills and your lagers, these like weird, obscure styles, your sour beers, everything that will be out there. So the people who like have different flavor profiles and in their in their interests will have something to pick up. And where our draft setup has always been the same way, like we will never be like a, a six hazy tap bar like that just doesn't make any sense to me like i I don't know why people enjoy that um but we so instead we'll have like an you know a cider or a lager belgian style beer or like a a regular ipa double ipa stout nitro beer like we always have it set up so that there's like a coherent division of styles and that's really it's it's hard because like certain times like things will change in the industry and it's like harder to come by like a great sour beer in certain months or something like that not not so much anymore more in the beginning but it's something that's like even the changes in the industry, we've had to like kind of stick to our guns a little bit and, and make sure that's, you know, we're, we're giving people what they want. Mm-hmm. You would be able to cater to my taste. I actually don't really care for anything hoppy. I'm always like, yeah, that's no. not, that's not uncommon. Yeah. It's like too much, but I love sour beers and I love tasting yeah. like I'll taste like other things like stouts. All I also kind of like, but yeah, to anything where it's like, we add hops on tops of hops on, on, and then more hops. And I'm like, well, mm, can we pull out a couple layers of hops, actually? Yeah. Hop off of that. <laughs> hop off. <laughs> yeah, hop off of that. Do, do you feel like you've learned more as you've gone along about, and I feel like no matter what kind of type of restaurant you're in, there's this tension between the kind of, especially if you kind of are really passionate about the space you're in, that tension between give the people what they want and, uh, oh, I want to try something cool, new, interesting. I don't know if don't know if it'll work or not, or if uh, the people are ready for this yet, but like, <laughs> this is fun to me. So I want to put it on. Yeah. I think with COVID we learned, there's a lot of things there. So I'd say the biggest learning curves we got were like through COVID realizing that like, even in the midst of like a global pandemic, certain people were going to come through and be, feel really entitled. And it made yeah. me realize that like on any given day, someone's going to come in and try to tell you you're wrong. And I've always tried to get rid of the idea that the customer is always right. I mean, I'm I'm sounding like misanthropic right now, but I don't mean it to say that I don't want people to come in and patronize my business. But like in often cases, the customer can be very wrong. And if that experience is going to ruin it for other people, you have to be like cognizant of that. So you don't make a, a, a solid or you don't make a, a, a big policy shift that's going to affect the experience for the next few guests that come in. Um, we for Governor's Island, for the business that we run on Governor's Island, my restaurant out there, um, that's totally different. Now, that's actually really where I learned the difference of trying to give as many people what they want, but you're never going to be able to give everybody exactly what they want. You can try. Um, and, but we're such a high volume, like, so governor's Island where we run that place is super, super busy in the summer. Um, we have lines that just don't end uh, starting at noon on weekends all summer long. 
and it'll be like 40 people deep at any given minute. And it's just one of those situations where it's like, we can't do modifications on your food right now. I'm really sorry. But if you come mm-hmm. up and you tell me you yeah. want to pick the onions out of the pico de gallo, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm like, I'm really, we, we just don't have the bandwidth to do this sort of thing. And most people understand, but you know, there's like the 5% of people that don't, 2% of people that don't. And I'm, I try to like keep that in balance of being like, again, if like, if that means you're not going to come back, I'm really, really sorry. But yeah. like, if, if I do this for you, that means that like my, first off, my, my line is going to walk. And, uh, and also the people behind you are going to take 15 extra minutes to get their food. So I like with a high volume, it made me realize there's a very different strategy at play and I have to, to stick to my guns a little bit more. So, yeah. Zach, uh, for, for the audience at home, what's the name of your government governor's Island establishment? Mm, it's called Taco Vista. We are, uh, we're going to be six this year. Um, if you're familiar with New York city, we're on governor's Island, uh, which if you're not, it's a fun little Island that is dead smack in the middle of New York Harbor. Uh, only accessible by boat. It's a former military base that they've since turned into a national park. And it's great because there's no cars, there's no traffic. You can only get out there by boat. And you basically have like a giant floating park oasis in the middle of the city or in the middle of the harbor that gives you these amazing views. It's very quiet. You get the sea breezes, Statue of Liberty, yeah. all the bridges. We have a particularly great view because we're right on the northern end of the island. So we're looking right at Manhattan. Um Jersey City and the, all the bridges in Brooklyn, and we're got, we got everything. So, um, but it's a very very straightforward. Like it's more of a food truck because the island is not set up to host brick and mortar businesses like in the traditional sense. It's essentially we're working out of a shipping container, like every other restaurant is out there right now. Um, and we just do very very straightforward. We have an outdoor open grill, and we have really great tacos, burritos, quesadillas, things like that, and uh, really really the margaritas, obviously great beer list. Uh, and we have a, it's a huge space. We're working with like 15,000 square feet. So we have a lot of space for New Yorkers. Give them an excuse to spend the day outside on a nice day like it is today. And they'll take it, uh, especially if it means they have enough room for their like 20 friends they want to bring to the birthday party, 30 friends. So we we do pretty well with that. And it's it's a unique space for New York because you got to commit to getting there. You can't just like step out of an Uber and roll in the door. You have to like make the boat and like figure out where it is. So it's it's a it's a special spot. We're very lucky to be there. I've never been here, but I know that Zach has run to some of our podcast episodes and it's revolved around this boat that he's almost missed. I, I have was... made catching this fairy in art form. I swear to God. <laughs> yes. I... Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. But Zach, talk to us. Why did you pick to do it on Governor's Island? Because I feel like there's a lot of challenges to doing. I mean, you talked about a lot of the pros, but what made you want to open up Taco Vista? And like what, what you started the beer bar and then you did that later afterwards. It's honestly, it's really, really, it was so exciting because they actually reached out when they were doing the RFPs and they're like, we're yeah. looking for businesses local like, like yours who, you know, are committed to their neighborhoods and their community and, you know, would really like to like to cultivate stuff like this on the island. So would you consider like, you know, tossing in a proposal? So we, we looked at it. It's like in terms of white space, like it's, there's nothing like it in New York. There's no, right. there's no area in New York city that is yeah. primed for this kind of development like that is. And it's, and they're doing it consciously too. They're, they're not trying to like do this in a way that it's going to become mayhem. They want to do this slowly and controlled so that like the, the island doesn't lose its essence of feeling like this relaxing out of city experience. And we, we really appreciate that. We're really on board with that. That being said, the challenge is like we thought we knew what we were getting into up ahead. <laughs> they're like, there's not going to be any potable water. The first two seasons we were out there, we didn't have potable water. 
which if wow. you're running a restaurant, that is <laughs> very, very hard. Yeah. Um, I learned a work? lot. <laughs> we had a very complicated hose setup and they had set up, like bless them. They had set up this very, very helpful dishwashing station that we had to put everything on a cart and wash it out there. But, and there there's, and the, to their credit too, they're, they're running out there on a, on a set of specific rules. Like we are not allowed to generate any kind of plastic waste. So all the, all the plates and components we use when we're serving our food has to either be reusable, which we're not, we're not, you know, running dishwashers out there. The volume is too much. So everything has to be perfectly uh, compostable. So we use compostable cups, uh, straws, things like that. uh, Ones that they vetted that they know are like legit because there's a lot of bogus compostable stuff out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it's, it's definitely also like if your delivery doesn't show up on time, like if your truck doesn't make it onto that ferry. You don't have hamburger patties that day. It's Saturday and there's like 50 kids coming in from a soccer team and the truck missed the 930. Too bad. I'm either either I'm coming over with boxes in my arms or we're just not (laughs) serving burgers that day. So that that level was something we weren't used to because New York is already chaotic and tough to do business in like any big city, I suppose. But this is that's like a different layer to it. Yeah, so I'm picturing just like the scene out of the bear with like Zach like bartering some jeans for some burger patties on the streets of New York, trying to. <laughs> we, you know, that's the other thing. Dude, there's only other a handful of other operators on the island, but we become very fast friends. And when something goes wrong, it's like my ice machine is down. I'm like, don't worry, we got you. And yeah. they'll, you know, they'll send you over stuff because it's not like you can run down the street to the you know to the right. grocery store. It, it's, there's nothing to do. So yeah, wow. we've we've learned a lot. Yeah. And also, also too, and then and on top of all of this, mm-hmm. imagine all of that. And then all of a sudden it starts to rain out of nowhere. And then <laughs> there's nowhere to go because everything is outdoors. So uh, is it co- but it's covered. It is not covered. We have sun sails, oh. but there's no there's no undercover seating anywhere on the island. It's it's only okay. open seasonally, right? It It we're only open seasonally, but as of last year, the island is actually open year round now. Okay. Um they try to convince us to stay open year round, but we uh we just don't have we didn't have the capabilities to do like that would be a, a, ship tough, a tough go in the cold. winter uh yeah <laughs> it's it's gonna be one day we will be out there year round god willing um but it's uh it's one of those things that like if we if we did something out there it'd be like a scaled down concept there's only one mm. year-round business going right now it's this really nice italian spa okay and um we they start they certainly get a lot of customers so we could they they've asked us too if there's anything they could do to help us stay open but we're we're shopping that now so Stay tuned. It'll be a frigid experience versus what you get in July, but yeah. it might be worth it anyway. What have you learned? Because I feel like we, a lot of the people we've had as guests on here have, you know, run some kind of restaurant group where they started with one concept and, you know, rolled into more. I'm, I'm curious what you've learned about managing two different concepts that are pretty, pretty radically different and just kind of format, like just the literal logistics of running them. Like you said, uh, the types of people you're drawing and uh, kind of keeping two very business, different business models straight in your head at the same time. It's funny. I mean, the, there, there's so much overlap in the stuff that you have to deal with. Like there's the staffing, the payroll stuff, um, the logistics of like, you know, getting like getting things fixed, ordering, budgeting. Um, those don't change between the places, like regardless of volume, both places see their own fair share of like high volume stuff. I mean, the Island is like a different kind of concessions, high volume, but it's the, the difference starts to lie in like, um, like, you know, I own a, it's craft beer bar, uh, alphabet city beer Co. is a craft beer bar. We certainly don't stop anyone from coming in with like families and stuff like that. We have food and things like that and non-alcoholic stuff, 
parents come in and hang out with their kids. It's like if it's a family friendly space, but Governor's Island is very family friendly. So it's it's it seems like when we're out there, we had to immediately plan the menu a little bit differently to be like, okay, we need much more kid friendly stuff. We need to make like the burgers and the fries, things like that, that just like exactly (laughs) it's exactly like it's like there's just so much that you need like we like coming up with ice cream and like and and like popsicles and stuff like that that kids could have um because when you realize that like you know on a saturday if you're doing you know this much you know these six digits or five digits in sales and you know 80 85 percent of them are people like two kids or three kids in tow you have to like know what you're doing to, to cater to those people so the the difference between that was like a big learning curve because I had for, you know, over half a decade been serving like the beer drinking crowd first and foremost. And that was that was a shift. But it was something we learned kind of quickly and it was refreshing too. like I, I love in the summertime when I wake up, I have to run things out to the island. I'm taking care of like an event out there. Then I'm like overseeing regular service and then I get back on the boat and have to go to ABC. And I feel like I'm like shifting gears. And it like helps the wavelength change in my brain, like helps me stay focused in a way or helps me feel less exhausted. I, I don't know, like less mentally born, burnt out. So I appreciate the subtle differences and the big ones um, because it kind of it keeps me keeps me on my toes. Once you reported into Matt way back when. <laughs> I did. It was back a great highlight of my old, career. <laughs> yeah, right? Back in the old Thrillist days. Best beer so, writer in the business right here. Oh, <laughs> uh, look at that. Is that is that not the best annual review anyone could ever ask for? Uh, love it. Um, yeah. So not only are you a restaurant and bar owner, but you are also a writer. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, like I said, I moved to New York to get into media. I was trying to do the writing thing at least a little bit because yep. it's something that I always did. I like, I... People always told me I was a decent writer when I was in high school. So I was like, oh, I'll run with that. But then when I got to New York and I realized like, that was kind of fun. Like I I enjoy getting words out. By the time I got to beer opening phase, I had Mm -hmm. been hit up by Thrillist a few times. They'd covered our opening, um, you know, which to this day, Thrillist remains like a very, it's an indispensable guide for people trying to figure out a city. Back then it was like on a different scale, I suppose, but it was, it was huge to, to have someone like that, like they, they featured us pretty heavily so often and they would hit me up all the time. They're like, can you pick a couple of beers for this like roundup we're doing? Like maybe like a couple of sentences and uh, we're going to put it out in our newsletter or whatever, or daily email. And then by like the third time they're like, you know what? We're just going to hire you as a, just do you want to freelance as like a beer, as the beer guy, the beer contributor? I was like, sure. <laughs> I guess that's what we're doing now. So that, that, that started off, that kicked off my illustrious career as a, as a beer writer for the first time. I always moved to New York saying I wanted to write about stuff I cared about. And that was like the first time I actually really got to like get into it. Like today, yeah. I, I still I still write mostly I've read about beer, read about food, wine, spirits, travel, you name it. But um, that was like the first like consistent freelance gig I got after opening the bar. And Do you think that it's kind been of great. journalistic curiosity serves you well as kind of the on the restaurant side of things as well. It really does. I mean, you're always thinking like because you're like. I'm 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 working both sides of the equation, right? I'm like I'm the guy who writes about places like this sometimes, but I'm also the guy running the pl- the places like this and I'm covering the product that we serve. So it's very it can be one of those things where I'm like looking at it like I get contacted all the time from from people being like I want you to taste this, but like also as a bar owner but also as a writer and there's like I'm wearing two constantly wearing like two like one hat that's spliced together of like two different careers 
And you know, the journalistic outlook is actually important because it keeps you on your toes in ways that I think restaurateurs would get kind of like blase about or like tired over. And you know, from the journalistic side of things, it's like you wouldn't be, there's not a lot of practical things that get discussed. So it's like, it's fun. My favorite questions, like when I do get interviewed, people are always like, talk about your beer expertise, but also give us like your horror stories about like working in industry or like what, like, like what's like going on. Like, get, like it's really fun to give like a kind of lay of the land thing to people because you know, just like similar, like we're saying about the bear people love looking under the hood of the service industry, um, you know, for, for better or worse, they like love to be shocked and, and scared a little bit by like oh, some yeah. of the, the crazy interactions and things like that. But honestly, um, it's, a, it's, it's, but I mean, it helps it's, it pays the, you know, it helps pad my income. Um, yeah. but it's also, I, it keeps me on my toes. I, I feel like I'm more well-rounded and cut in, serving beer because I'm forced to like step out of my box and like learn about a national scale and, and try stuff when I travel, uh, stuff that won't necessarily make it, make its way into the bar, but I have a better lay of the land and see where things are headed. So yeah, the journalistic approach really, I undoubtedly makes me a better beer bar owner, beer buyer, whatever you want to call it. It also just makes it, it gives me an excuse to travel more, which is all we ever want. Right. I mean, Absolutely. yeah. I, fun fact, I once bumped into Zach in Chicago on a beer press, press trip that I didn't even know he was going to be on. The first time we met in person. <laughs> yeah, I th- that was, was the it? first I time. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, it was. Because I was like, we're on the roof of the hotel in Lincoln and Wicker Park. Yeah, I was at the Roby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Sweet surprise. <laughs> Amazing. And then the next day, did you get to come in and make the beer with us the next day when they were I, doing yeah, like I, the... I did. I, it, yeah, that it was, was fun. The, uh... that, was, that was a good trip. The Goose Island, like Bourbon County press trip. They gave us French presses, Claudia, where yeah. they're like, here's a bunch of marshmallows and chocolate bars and all these things. For it's like you French dump a little press? bit. Of... Yeah, for a French press. You and they're like, here's press, a bunch of the you can stout. French press beer. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Like, like back for the, the it was listeners like blueberries at home. and yeah. All these different flavors, like like the nutmeg, you name it. And they like dump it in there and then like let it steep and then you French press it and then you pour it out. And then they had the brewers judge which mixtures taste the best, which flavor additions taste the best. Which one and there won? Was like, Do you remember? Oh, I, there was like a, it was like a blueberry chocolate thing. Oh, I want to say. Interesting. I do like some of those weird flavors sometimes, but I can normally only have like the little, the little taster, the four ounce yeah. with the two. You know what I'm talking about? When you get the little. The little yeah. The, those, those heavy uh, pastry stats. Yeah. That are not, yeah, not meant they for. Crush. <laughs> They're not meant for the Highly recommend toasted coconut and a stout if you're trying that at home. Uh, Yes. That's the move. I put coconut in mine. Okay. So, Zach, pulling back a bit, obviously, apart from, you know, running your own restaurants, you've uh, helmed this podcast with us over these past couple of years. So I'm, I'm curious, kind of from the host standpoint, if there is kind of any pattern you've noted in all the conversations you've had about generally obviously the people we talk to are running pretty successful restaurant groups and kind of what from your perspective are some of the things that kind of make someone thrive in this very as we've established many times over on this podcast difficult business to be in yeah um i'm i'm blown away more and more about how at this day and age it looks like scalability like being able to have a, a few operations uh, it seems like it takes on a lot, but once you pass or pass like two, three and you get to like four or five, I feel like people start to see the, the, the revenue generated and like they have like a honed in focus that like makes people 
it, like there's like a different level of it because like I I only have two places and I see the difference in these people. I'm like, oh my god, like you're running companies like with like thing, like restaurants as arms, which is like it seems like a lot of work. But I feel like once you get to that level, it's these people are we've that we've spoken to are so talented and and smart at what they do and they're driven in a way that I feel like restaurateurs always have to be driven in one way or or another. Um, a lot of them are driven by like a passion to do something and very few are by money, which is a good thing because it can be hard to make a lot of money in a restaurant, even when you know exactly what you're doing. But a lot of them are driven by like something they want to take something and make it big, make it grow. Yeah. And I feel like some of the most stimulating conversations we've had have come from the the people on the show who are like, yo, I started this off as like a fun little project and I'm, I'm scaling it up, getting bigger. We're expanding. We're doing X, Y, Z. And I I feel like after COVID, a lot of people realized that a lot of the the mess in the industry was like finally addressed, and it's hopefully continues to be addressed and, and cleared out because it was a long time coming. But the the health of the industry is going to depend on people who can turn this into livelihoods for the people who run it and the people who are working staffing these places. There's this there's no future for the industry otherwise. So I think talking to people that like I've learned that their outlook is treating their staff right and and keeping that going are the ones that that has that's become a solidified tenant of the industry and the people that matter, I think, or I hope. Yeah. And I feel like we've talked to a lot of guests this past season. I mean, and in the first season, well, coming out of COVID in particular, it seems like the guests that really have stood out are the ones that are going above and beyond for their yeah. staff. And so I, I, I mean, that makes, that makes sense to me. I feel like. Yeah. There's been so many different things that have been done or people are trying to, you know, whether it be wages or trying to add, I don't know, like these, we've had some people talk about four or five day work weeks, even in the service industry yeah. or uh, healthcare benefits Just and that benefits, sort of thing. things, yeah. all these things that you can do, making sure they're paid, which take the, the very literally legally, but also the very least you can do is making sure yeah. that you're they're, They know their value, um, which can be hard because margins in restaurants are tight. And for the longest mm-hmm. time. Tipping is how we outsourced labor in the industry. And that's, right. you know, that's got to change. And uh, it's a hard learning curve. But um, and it's like one that people are going to debate till the cows come home. And I think a lot of old guards in the industry are going to, you know, take it hard to see. And on both sides, there are some people who work on the service side that don't want to see uh, they don't want to change from the tipping system either. But mm-hmm. like a lot of that is going to going to have to go away as we as laws change and, and the business model kind of shifts into what it's going to be in the future. So. I, it's it, but it is also outside of just like the 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 bare basics of paying people enough, treating people like employees that get treated in other industries where they have benefits, they can they can go to the doctor. I mean, like God forbid someone gets sick, right? Like, right. It's one of those things. It's it's like people usually treat this as a side career. And the, my favorite thing hearing time and time again is the like people who are they're investing in people who work for you as someone who's like considering this as a career, not just treating this as a side gig or a way to pay the bills. There's nothing wrong with taking. An, a gig waiting tables to to buy the time or like get yourself through through law school or whatever you're doing but there's also people who want to like take it to the next level and if you can cultivate that this industry deserves to be able to support people who want to to grow and and to to do things on their own Mm -hmm. yeah totally so zach you've got abc beer co and you've got taco vista would you open a third spot yes or no and if yes what would it be knowing what you know now all of your experience and being a co-host on this podcast where we interview restaurateurs across the nation about all of their experiences running breakfast spots, dinner spots, bars. 
experiences everything? That's a loaded. That's that's a big question. Yeah, honestly, yes. Uh, leading into COVID, I almost did open a third spot. Um, oh, I was we you know blissfully missed dodged the bullet on that in, in many ways um, because we would have been probably opening just in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. But I was this close to opening up a pizza place um, oh. with two very very talented friends of mine who were also in in business like around our block. Uh-huh. Uh, they owned a, a draft wine bar next to us called Lois. And we had talked about opening up a pizza place. We were we were really, really, really close to doing it. We had the recipes down and everything. We had a space um, and we just like something told us to pump the brakes. I don't know if it was like there wasn't even like rumblings of COVID in the area. yet. We we're just like, Let's, like inside info. Yeah, he did. That's the diplomat. That's the diplomat in him right there. You still have connections. My secret wires. Yeah. Yes. But okay. we pumped the brakes at the perfect time. And then it just made sense for us to like really to like. To, to wrap it like where yeah. we can't do this um that didn't come to be i the pizza just came to me because we had thought that it would be really easy concept to facilitate the things we were good at like i wanted to do stupid fun cocktails stupid fun classic cocktails with really really great beer program and the ladies came from the the wine side and we were like we could knock it out of the park with this like yeah i grew up my family's like irish ancestry but we grew up eating pasta six nights a week and i was like I, please give me italian food on a menu that i could just like mess with and I could I could have fun with this would just be like a dream concept. We were gonna try to keep it open late. So because there's nothing like getting able to sit down and get like a bowl of rigatoni at like 1145 or like, you know, two in the morning. Um, but, you know, obviously that changed I, my heart of hearts. If I did now, if I had to do it again, I would love to open up. I you know, I'm a New England boy. I spent a lot of my I spent, still spend my summers up there. Um, and I really, really want to open up like a. A clam shack oyster bar like seafood seafood shack with like uh-huh. again stupid fun cocktails and just like the sort of thing that you can sit on a picnic table and eat like really good spaghetti with clams but also like something like that would be really really fun to me because i i feel like that's like a passion spot so yeah and Come then that's also the sort of thing that like people summer, lobster lookout popping up at taco <laughs> vista <laughs> You know, I honest to God almost did it. I was this close. Also, I, I sorry, made shop. We do. I do. I become so a very good oyster shucker. That is very, very, very good shucker. with the if name. You call it lobster lookout. I get a cut. That lobster lookout. You definitely get a cut. You get free, free, free merch off the bat. This is like part of the Kickstarter. That is so good at coming up with these little catchy titles for all of our things here at all the things at back of house relish works like if i ever need anything and i'm like see he's already got the name of your restaurant and i'm sure he's got a laundry list where that came from <laughs> he's too. always very good at this i always gotta he say is. he was great he editor of this. he's way with words in that brain you know <laughs> <laughs> amazing all right so zach i have another question for you who has been one of your favorite guests to interview on this show oh man there and who's been your There's least so... favorite? Just kidding. Just kidding. Just... <laughs> <laughs> there's so many ways that I can answer this question. Yeah. Because there's so many different conversations that I really appreciate. There's something I like yeah. about, and I'm not just saying this, there's something I've enjoyed about having everyone on. There's like at least one takeaway from every conversation. But that is true. I've always enjoyed talking to people like I always say this off air, but like the people that I consider like five beer interviews, which it means like I would sit down and drink five beers with this person mm-hmm. just to learn more from them. Um, Amanda Bailey always pops up. I'm not going to pick favorites all the way, but Amanda Bailey, Lauren like, Bailey. Or, oh my God, I'm sorry. Thank you. Why don't I say Amanda Bailey? Oh, I went to high school with a girl named Amanda Bailey. I have to leave that in because Lauren would probably find it hilarious, but I know she would. She would. It's like, 
Um, Lauren Bailey really, really struck me as one of the great conversations we had because she was like really thinking ahead, but she was also so rooted in what like who she was and like what she's doing in the moment in and the culture, the, the culture, everything. And yeah. that check on on that, uh, that like that check on ego and that check on like her own outlook is like mm-hmm. very refreshingly rare. Uh, or sorry, it's very rare in the in the restaurant industry and the hospitality industry. And I love getting to know her and talk to her. But there's just like like all the creativity and stuff that we've seen in some of these projects and and the and both in what they're putting out for food, but also their their attempts to fix problems and yes. address issues. I've like I've honestly I've taken something from every single guest we have and that is not hyperbole or just me, you know, blown yeah. smoke. I honestly really truly believe I've learned a lot from the people we've talked to and I feel lucky that I've been in this position to essentially get free access to mm-hmm. people who are doing so much and know so much. Yeah. I, I second everything you said, every conversation I leave with something different and, um, it's so it's, you know, it's, it's different characters, different personalities we have every single time, but there's always, there's always like that little nugget that they can offer and, or multiple nuggets throughout the conversation. Um, also if people don't know is that some of the best conversations we have on the show happen after we stop recording. And then like, you really (laughs) hear some of the fun stuff, which I, I don't know. Like we've had some awesome chit chats with folks like bef- like right after. We're going to our special edition podcast will include those the yes. shift drinks portion <laughs> we're going to call it. And yes. honestly, and it's usually it's just us just talking about what we've done over the week or our own views on like the right. restaurant like restaurant world news and stuff and it's it's refreshing to talk to someone like that about it because you know, we spend a lot of time talking to each other. We've met in person once, Claudia. I don't know if anyone knows this, but we've only met in person one time and one we time. co-host a show together yeah and it was and his best visit to chicago ever the best best <laughs> visit i've ever had in chicago because he got to slurp ramen there. with him and his I wife you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's a it's honestly it's it's really it's been fun to you know to be on the show with you and like learn more and talk with you because we i don't think like it, it adds like a fun dynamic it's like yeah. i come from the restaurant side and you come from like from the tech the hospitality side like the the business side and it's very it's a it's a cool dynamic to create because we're not just like another restaurant podcast, you know? Right, right. It's 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 different, and and I'm always trying to take us in a different. I I feel like we're always in different direction. Like what your commentary is is different than mine, and then I'm always paying you. You gotta that. have that, yeah. That column A, column B. It's got it. Right, right. What were you gonna say, Matt? Sorry. Well, I was gonna say, speaking of being a different kind of podcast, is this a good time to pivot to a spontaneous? rapid fire tasting menu series of questions for Zach. Yes, let's do it. Yes. I've got one to lead us off because uh, not not to make Claudia increasingly jealous, but I've also karaoke with Zach Mack. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, really? That was one of the. Yeah. Talk about a shift drinks conversation and all the uh, ins and outs of that (laughs) evening. That is definitely an after shift drink. Yes. episode. Zach, what is your go-to karaoke song? Okay, so I know this is going against the tasting menu rules, but I always say you got to read the room. I was a DJ for a long time, and if you try to come in with something super sad at a high at a high energy place, you're gonna get crickets. And Accurate. if you come in with something super super like low energy and a or sorry super high energy in like a kind of sullen mode, you're same thing. You don't want to do that. You don't want to mess yeah. the vibe up too much. Yeah. But my perfect middle of the road song, and these days I feel like it's always a hit is Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind because we've reached peak nostalgia with it. And it's like, you don't, it doesn't, I'm not a great singer. I'm not a good singer even. I think it's just one of those things where you can kind of like bust it out. Oh yeah. Uh, but if all things fail, you know, get three beers in me and I will be singing <laughs> uh, Brandy by Looking Glass because 
Who doesn't love 70s oh radio? God. Everyone knows they love that song, but they don't even know that song. So Zach, you... fun fact, I have done both of those myself. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I knew we're kindred spirits for a reason. <laughs> okay, so this means podcast co-hosts, producer, editors all meet up and we're going to do a karaoke bit next time. Mandatory. Mandatory. Absolutely, I insist. Yeah. The pod team. The pod team. Look at this room of Gagopa again. It's the, it's the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Zach, you have talked, I have seen the creepy, the creepy like storage area of Governor's Island. It looks extremely creepy and extremely haunted. Have you ever had a ghost encounter there? I have not personally, because I'm I'm only out there in the daytime. So it doesn't, I mean, it looks very, it translates very creepy on Instagram. For listeners who don't realize or don't know this, this is the the old abandoned buildings, the many, many abandoned barracks that are still out on the island that are landmarked because they're very sturdily built thanks to the U.S. military. And they are just now sitting empty. So because we don't have basements or things like that, they they lease them out as dry storage areas. And I have to go over there by myself in these very very scary looking paint peeling from the walls light fixtures hanging dangling from the ceiling oh, yeah it's a torture it's, chamber it looks terrifying um the people who work on the island have told me the only places that they refuse to go alone are the old hospital and the south battery which is like pre country it's this like brick building there's and an old the south- hospital there too oh yeah that's oh, not yeah. scary it's a self-sufficient <laughs> island Gosh, yeah. That's, yeah. i've never been in the hospital i've never been in the hospital but i have been to the south battery which is what was like the last line of defense um, New York for the harbor. Yeah. Uh, they built it to defend against the British. And it is spooky in there. It is sunken brick basements and they converted one corner of it into the old officer's lounge. So at one side you have these like weird brick walls, but this like amazing mural. Um, but it's scary as hell because it's abandoned. So wow. they only open it up once every four years and I got a tour. It was, it was wild. Dang. Okay. Yeah. All right, so haunted tours of Governor's Island. We'll also, yeah. Have, to, yeah. we'll also have to mark that off our <laughs> That's list. That's my side business. We're right. The ghost tours of Governor's Island. Yeah, exactly. There you go. I think I've got a good closer as, as someone who runs both a beer bar and a, a taco concept. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be stranded on a desert island. But you are Ooh. granted one beer and one kind of taco to get you through <laughs> your time on this island. What, what are your choices? Oh, my God. This is really hard. I mean, the beer Wait, question is impossible. No, it's not because you just got to think, Zach, what goes best with the taco? You know what I mean? Like, because like, that's 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 like where my brain going taco, with this. Right. Like a fish taco. And if, a, if you want to create know, your perfect beer taco pairing. Yeah, that can absolutely be. Your... It's, <laughs> honestly, I say this to everyone. I honestly think the, the regardless of where you are, I feel like I'm always happiest with a grilled like a grilled fish taco. I love really, really good grilled fish tacos yeah. with good salsa on it. Yeah. So. I'm going to go with that. And I think for beer, I really, really kind of like like an ambery lager. So there is a like a like a not I'll drink anything on the beach, honestly, like dark beer, light beer. It's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm saying because we're on a desert island. So I'm assuming hotter weather. Mm -hmm. But there is something to be said about having a, a beer with a little more personality when you're in that situation. So something like even like if you're looking down the lines, like a Negro Modelo. Something oh. that's like that, that like, a, like I'm doing something approachable to the masses here, but they have like all the craft knockoffs of that have been also very good too. And also I have been known to crack a Negro Modelo myself all Negro the time. Negro Modelo is a, a sneaky great beer, I think. It's a phenomenal, yeah. And especially with, with tacos, with food, with anything. It's, uh, it's honestly one of my favorites. So that's honestly, I think where you go with something like that. It's, 
you don't want your beer to just taste like if it's too refreshing, you're going to get bored of it. Uh, and this is both refreshing and got some some complexity. So yeah, well, as I'm a certi- as a certified cicerone that Zach is, I trust that opinion. We didn't <laughs> even talk about that. I knew I had something else on my list, and that was telling you how'd you get that certificate. <laughs> oh, that was that's a that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Amazing. Well, this was awesome. Yeah, was thank fun. thank you for uh, hopping over to the guest side. Yeah, guys, I'm so happy I got to do this. What an honor! What a privilege! I I feel so lucky to be here, and thank you guys for being the best co-host and producer uh, you could ever ask for. I really appreciate Aww. it. Ah, uh, well, we love you too, Zach. We couldn't do the show without you. <laughs> Want to hear more? Then you need to head to backofhouse.io, where you can find the latest on restaurant technology, industry news, a ton of free how-to guides, and interviews with industry experts. And while you're there, definitely remember to sign up for our free newsletter, Back of House News. Our team of reporters cuts through the noise and gives you the headlines that you really need to see each and every week. This is honestly one of the best weekly newsletters I've ever read, and I wouldn't say that if it weren't true. Follow us on Twitter at BOH underscore news and at We Are Back of House on all other platforms. Yeah!